I think it's just a brilliant time for mental health from the standpoint of it becoming very accessible and, 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 and a growing awareness. I think unfortunately it's also a time when we see unprecedented need that mm-hmm. is very difficult to manage given um, all the disruption of the last three years and a workforce shortage that is pretty substantial. Right. The Medical Alley podcast is brought to you by MentorMate. MentorMate empowers healthcare clients to deliver on their mission and transform the human experience through technology. For over 20 years, clients have trusted MentorMate to guide their vision, design innovative products, and build secure solutions while understanding the specific nuances of their industry. MentorMate's global team in the U.S., Eastern Europe, and Latin America helps clients in all sectors of healthcare transform their organizations. From Fortune 500 pharmaceutical companies and commercial payers to hospital systems, medical device manufacturers, and beyond. Learn more at mentormate.com healthcare. Hello, everyone. Ben Wagner here with the Medical Alley podcast, and we are recording on site today here at the Minnesota State Fair. It is Mental Health Awareness Day at the Minnesota State Fair, and we are thrilled to be out here. And we have a number of guests with us who are working to change lives in the mental health space. And we are delighted first to be joined by Jory Colseth with Children's Minnesota. Jory, welcome. Thank you very much, Ben. I'm really glad to be here. Well, first off, I have to say our listeners can't see it, but you're wearing a great cape. (laughs) (laughs) It's my superhero cape. Yeah. We We are the kid experts at Children's Minnesota and uh, excited to talk more about that. Yeah. And I'd love to hear more about Children's. What are some of the, the services that are being offered, especially to kids? So um, especially I'm going to focus mostly on mental health uh, because it's just a big issue all over the nation. Lots of children that are struggling with a whole range of mental health problems. Yeah. And uh, we know mental health issues in kids are are certainly rising, too. What is what has children's been doing really to to meet that need and to, to, to catch to to get to kids where they are? Yeah, we're, we're really trying to hit this hard. Um, we've had outpatient services for a while. We do integrated mental health um, where you can go to the primary clinic and, and get services with a, both of your primary care and a mental health provider who's then going to be able to help you on an outpatient level. But then we've stepped up the services. We have partial hospitalization program, which can provide, uh, you know, two to three maybe four weeks of good, solid, everyday therapy, but then you get to go home at night. So you're you're involved in the program, and we try to accommodate if there's education needs, you know, really addressing the whole person and providing art therapy, music therapy. They have OT, occupational therapy. So just a lot of services on top of teaching skills needed for managing anxiety and stress, and um, having the opportunity to have an individual therapist every day touch and base with you and having group therapy with your peers. So they really do a nice job in that partial program. And then for those really acute crisis situations, we have uh, the inpatient mental health unit that just opened nine months ago. And 
that's very personalized individual care for that crisis, very acute. So five to seven days, maybe on average. Mm. That's such important work you're, you're doing. Um, you know, we're out here at the state fair today and we're, we're looking at so many people here at Dan Patch Park. And um, I, I'm just curious, can you tell me a little bit about why an event like this may be important to really raise awareness for mental health and the organizations that are providing services? It is um, really important because so often we have this idea that mental health is not our health, and yet mental health is just wrapped into our whole well-being. And so letting people know about the variety of services that you know are available at all levels of care, that yeah. is why we need to get this out. Mm-hmm. And have you, the services you're providing at, at, at Children's Minnesota, are, do you have any success stories that you'd be happy to share? You know, we, we do have wonderful stories of kiddos who have been able to come in. Um, we've been able to provide specific services. I'm thinking about uh, a family that came in and their child was really overwhelmed and they were able to, you know, make sure that we were able to find the right therapist. Uh, I'm thinking uh, this particular kiddo's parents spoke Spanish and they spoke English and they wanted an English therapist. And so we were able to hook them up with a a therapist who could be bilingual. So they could explain what was going on to the parents um, in terms of what the general treatment plan would be. But also the child was able to just fluently talk to the therapist in their preferred language. That's such a, an important piece of this too, is that, um, that, that culturally aware care. And uh, I, I imagine that's got to be just another level to reach these kids where they are. Absolutely. And to get really from the families, we partner with families all the time. Parents are, they know their kids best. I can see a kid and I might have some ideas, but the parents know them best. So when we can get an interpreter in their language or even specifically their dialect that's come up, um, then we can definitely get a better picture so that we can provide better care. Jory, before we let you go here, we want to give you a chance. If, if, if there's a listener who's got a, a kid who may, may be in need of, of some help, uh, where can they go? So uh, you can contact Children's Minnesota. Uh, we have campuses in St. Paul and we have a campus in Minneapolis. And then there are clinics all over the, this you know metro area. And so feel free to look us up on the internet and figure out which location is closest to you. And then we'll step you through what level of care you might be really needing. Um, I also want to just throw out Children's Minnesota is one of the largest pediatric health specialty clinics in the, in a, they're not a clinic, they're a system of care. So um, that's, that's really amazing to be able to work for our Children's Minnesota and know that we are really the kid experts in the metro area and across the state. And we serve kids in Wisconsin. We've had kids from Michigan, people coming from the region to come and get care. Well, you guys really are the superheroes. So, Jory, thank, thank you so you. much for being with us. Thank you, Ben. Yep. Our next guest is Michelle O'Brien with UCARE. Michelle, thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you for having me. First off, can you tell us just a little bit about UCARE, what you guys do, 
and really how you hone in on mental health services. Sure. So at uh, UCARE, we do have a separate department for mental health and substance use disorders um, that is a, uses a pe- person-centered approach to helping our members gain access to the health care and other services that they need. And we do that through a number of different ways. We have a triage line where members can call even if they're in a crisis and our team will help connect them with a clinician in real time. Or for members who are looking, um, are not actually the members, the providers that are taking care of them to reach out to help them help those patients get to the UCARE services. The more important thing is our access line. As everyone knows, access to healthcare is, has really been a difficult thing and access to mental health care is even worse. So our access line helps the members themselves. They will help them get appointments scheduled, um, make sure they're going to an in-network provider. Another problem that happens to people, they'll find an appointment, go through the whole appointment, then find out it's not in their network and not covered. Um, we're also a resource, again, for the, the providers and case managers who want to reach out to our case managers and make sure we're coordinating care. That's the opposite problem. Sometimes we have the access problem, and sometimes we have the duplication of services. So it's mm. really great for all the people involved in that member's care to talk so that we're making sure that we're giving them what they need and not giving them too much that of something that's not helpful. Mm. Okay. I'm curious, too, about about health equity, mm-hmm. you know, and, and reaching all groups of people where they are. Mm-hmm. How, how does UCARE really address some of those problems with health disparities and make sure that, that everyone has an equitable access to care? So one of the ways that we um, help with equity is to look at our data. I mean, we have a lot of data as a health plan to look at where the gaps are for our members, particularly looking at specific groups, whether it be by race or geographic location, um, disability, and really look at how are those members doing and how can we help them um, access the care that they need. We work closely with several of the community health centers in the area to help those members that are in underserved areas, which is where the health, the federally qualified health centers tend to be. And then we also work with community health workers, which is kind of a a newer concept, but that's usually people who are in, that are members of the community who have some training, but aren't nurses, doctors, clinicians in that way, but they get into the communities and help with getting people signed up for screenings or helping them access some of the social determinants of health kind of things that we have at UCARE, Mm -hmm. like transportation or maybe helping with food insecurity or housing issues. And that's that person-centered mm-hmm. approach, yeah, really. Correct. Because that all plays into someone's mental well-being. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. What's something, you know, as you look at everything that UCARE does, what's something you're really proud of? That we put the, the member first. We really, yeah. I mean, it sounds like a tagline, but it really, the member is at the center of everything we do. I don't think I could do the work I do at UCARE if it wasn't member-centered. Mm-hmm. That's so important. So we're here at, at, at the State Fair. It's a it's a Monday morning. Um, it's still very busy, and it's, it's Mental Health Awareness Day, and mm-hmm. we can see so many different organizations out here. What does that tell you? What does that tell you about kind of the awareness and, and just the importance of an event like this at the State Fair? 
I'm really happy to see that there's a mental health awareness. Um, it was interesting to me on my way over here. I took a, a lift and I was telling the driver what I was, you know, what I, why I was going to the fair. And he said, another day? <laughs> um, and I said, no, state at the state fair. He's, oh, so it was, ha- I was happy to know that he had heard about mental health awareness in other capacities. But the state fair really reaches a lot of people. And so I think it's really important to have the presence. I wasn't expecting the number of tents that were here. I'm glad to see so many organizations representing for mental health. It really is great. Michelle, we also know uh, maternal mental health is an incredibly important issue. Can you tell us a little bit about about what you're doing to to work on that? Well, I think the importance uh, with maternal mental health is screening. because a lot of people may not self-disclose if they are suffering, particularly during pregnancy and postpartum. They feel that they're supposed to be happy. This is a joyful time. So when they're not feeling that way, they're afraid to share that with other people. And so through screening and through awareness campaigns to let people know that they're not alone, that many women suffer with this, and that, um, that there is help available. One of the resources I use a lot is a national organization. It's the Policy Center for Maternal Mental Health. Um, They recently put out uh, report cards for all the states as to how we're doing in addressing maternal mental health. Minnesota was one of the best, but we only got a C plus. So there's a lot of work to be done nationally to look at the programming, what we have available for women, um, and making sure that we have clinicians that know particularly the specifics around maternal mental health issues. And is that, do you think that's an awareness issue or a, uh, a resource, a lack of resources issue? Both, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. That was one of the things that we were downgraded in Minnesota is that we don't have specific programming or specific clinicians who, um, not the same numbers as some they would like to see. Mm. Okay. And an awareness of symptoms is really probably the first step. And a really sobering statistic um, is that when you combine suicide and drug overdose, that is the leading leading cause of maternal mortality. Um, And it's not something that people really think about when you're talking about pregnancy and postpartum. And so the sooner we can reach people, make people aware, the more we're going to be able to affect that number. Okay. Well, that's such an important issue. Uh, Michelle, is there anything else, anything else you'd like to share? Or let's say somebody is out there struggling. Is there something that some way you can point them to for you care services? Well, I mean, our website really has the access. I think it's a pretty user friendly website to go to um, to reach out to those. The triage line and the access line. Uh, we always have someone servicing that and can really help connect people to where whether they be a, a member or somebody to a family member of a member or a caregiver like a mental health provider or a, even their primary care provider great michelle o'brien with you care thank you so much for being here thank you 
Our next guest here at the Minnesota State Fair Mental Health Awareness Day is Nicole Muchek with Nexus Family Healing. Nicole, thank you for, for being with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. So first up, Nexus Family Healing, can you tell us a little bit about your organization and really how you are working to help address mental health issues? Yeah. So Nexus Family Healing is a uh, nonprofit organization that has been around for over 50 years, serving youth and families in, in across Minnesota. Um, we offer a variety of services. We're really focused on uh, working with some of the most challenging youth that we have across the state. So some of the services that we offer um, expand from uh, in residential treatment to our outpatient and community service programs, including school-based services. Um, and then we also do foster care and adoption across the state mm -hmm. as well. That's so important. And it's so important reaching kids, too, because we know that, that so many kids are, are really struggling with with mental health issues more now than really in quite some time. Um, how do you how do you make sure you're, you're reaching kids where where they are? Yeah. So um, some of our newest services are really um, trying to tackle youth in the communities where they need us most. So that includes um, the Southeast Regional Crisis Center in southeast Minnesota, where we serve the 10 counties of Southeast Minnesota, um, offering 24 seven access to mental health services. Um, it's a crisis based uh, service. So anyone at any point in time can walk in with a mental health crisis. Um, and that individual is um, identifying what their crisis experience mm -hmm. is. Um, and we offer those services um, through an inpatient walk-in, um, but we also have residential services attached. So if an individual needs to stay longer, to help stabilize their mental health. We have up to 10 days uh, where we can support them um, in that at that location. We also have school-based programs that help um, support our rural and urban communities um, with youth and really trying to get at them where they're at and where they're spending their time, right? Mm -hmm. Which is in our school systems. And then um, we are excited that we are now gonna be opening a brand new um, psychiatric residential treatment facility. Um, and that will be all specifically youth-based services um, where we'll be able to treat um, youth uh, experiencing the most significant mental health symptoms. Mm -hmm. Okay, and you, you almost, Led right into my next question here, yeah. which is great, which is which is about health equity yeah. and addressing health disparities and making sure that there is equitable access to care. How do you make sure that that happens with kids? Well, we work with all types of insurance, Medicaid, Medicare. Um, and so we uh, our main population of youth that we're serving is um, youth that are accessing uh, Medicaid um, or their families are accessing Medicaid. Um, the other component that I would just add in there is that many of our service lines um, offer services regardless of ability to pay. So whether mm -hmm. it's through access to county funds um, or community-based funds that um, we have from many of our stakeholders and supporters that come to um, support the cause, um, we uh, are very fortunate to have those so that we can offer services regardless of, of the person's ability to pay for services. Mm. Um, and then really uh, targeting the um, youth where they're at in their communities um, and really trying to provide those services um, in the school systems, in rural as well as urban environments um, and making the services accessible. I think those are some of the ways that we can really get at equity yeah. um, across service lines. We, we look at the pandemic and the the loss of, of in-person learning and, and the challenges all that presented. And I wonder what 
the level of care has has jumped to for you, for your organization in the last five years? Yeah, I mean, I think when we think about the level of care, um, we're definitely seeing more challenging behaviors um, with our youth and our families struggling to support uh, the, the youth in our care. Um, so we're really focused on that family systems model mm. at Nexus and really not just supporting the youth that's experiencing the mental health crisis or um, uh, engaging in um, behaviors and uh, more challenging um, mental health symptoms, um, but also really working with the family so that the family can feel more confident and supported through the process. And I think to that is really important because you're really looking at the whole system mm -hmm. um, and not just the youth in care. Mm. When we look at Mental Health Awareness Day here at the State Fair, there's dozens of booths. There's a number of people, big stage set up here too. What does that, what does that mean to you? What does that say to you about kind of the increased awareness of mental health and how can we get organizations working together to really address this, these issues? Yeah, well, I would just say that this is um, quite amazing that there's so many um, important organizations that came out to just be a part of the event today. Um, and it's just really great to see. Uh, I will say I was working our table earlier today and uh, had a few individuals come up and um, just thank us for being here. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's so important that individuals feel like they can come to an event like this, that they can come up to a table, ask questions, um, talk about how to access mental health services, what what um, services we provide, um, how to um, engage with a loved one that they notice that there's some changes happening or occurring with. Um, so I guess I would just say that I'm hoping that an event like this just brings people together and continues to break down the stigma around mental health and that we continue to open the doors for difficult conversations, whether that's with our youth, with a loved one, um, within our family systems, to talk about the challenges that are in front of us um, and that uh, we can just engage and really connect and care for one another. Well, Nicole, I'll thank you as well for being here. It's been great to, to talk with you today. Yeah, great to talk to you too. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Our next guest today is Julie Bloom with Guild. Julie, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Okay, so first off, tell us about Guild. Tell us about what you do. Yeah, so Guild is an organization that provides um, mental health, housing, and jobs for people who are experiencing serious mental illness and or are chronically homeless. So tell me about that section of mental health services. Yeah. I don't know that we hear so much about mental health housing. Yes, that's a great question. We um, or great call out, really, because we're a niche based. We're called community based mental health. And so there are services. I think a lot of times when people think about mental health services, they think about therapy where they go into an office and talk to somebody. They think about medications. They may think about like a partial day treatment type program or hospitalization. But there's a whole range of services that were developed mainly for people with serious and persistent mental illness who tend to be on Medicaid, our state, um, our medical assistance, our state Medicaid program. 
um, who qualify for a whole range of services. And that's really what my staff are focused on providing. So these services are delivered generally in people's homes or wherever they happen to be. And so we work with a lot of people who are unhoused. And so we do have a street outreach team that goes out and moves people from um, where they're living, wherever they happen to be, into housing. But the real key is integrating those mental health services and substance use disorder services into that intervention. Mm. Because guess what? People aren't just homeless or they're not just um, struggling with depression and anxiety. We are fully functioning humans. And so Guild's approach is really integration. And our goal is really our core belief is that people deserve to be fully integrated into our communities, not put into one segregated space that they would try to manage on their own. But with supports in the community, we can have people live autonomous lives. Kind of that whole person approach. Yeah. Right. It's really hard to to get someone mental health services if they're struggling with baseline right. needs, right? Yes. Yeah. Housing, shelter, yeah. food, that sort of thing. Without those basic needs, you can, I mean, health is not possible. Right. And so our, our, our real focus is that intersection. And it's, it's really cool. We've got two um, treatment centers that do both crisis residential. So when people really need those services quickly, and then also an intensive residential where it's a 90 day treatment, usually after hospitalization, and that, that may be one entry point into Guild Services or, or our homeless outreach. But what we find is once people come into our services, we have a whole array of services to meet their needs so that they can be as functional and autonomous as possible in their home. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Uh, I, I, it sounds like your work leads right into my next question, which is about health equity. Yeah. And how do we reach how do we reach everybody and make yeah. sure everybody has equitable access to care? How, how are you addressing some of the health disparities that exist in our community and making sure everybody has access to, to the proper care they need? Yeah. I, I, when I hear health equity and I think of the social determinants of health, I think we've all realized that whether you access can access health care in the, in the form of a doctor or a therapist um, is just one small piece of our overall health. And I really think about Guild as perfect, perfectly aligned with those values. We know that the most vulnerable of our society have a hard time navigating really complicated systems. I have a hard time navigating mm -hmm. really complicated systems. And so our goal is really bringing services to people and then ensuring that they have every every bit taken care of, right? You might be able to get a prescription, but if you can't pick it up or you can't afford the copay, um, it's really not that helpful. Um, if you can't remember to take the medication every day, then it's really not that helpful. And so our services have, we've kind of stubbornly stayed in this niche of being where people are and responding to whatever need it is that they have. At Guild, we say we're embracing their needs joyfully and, and really asking them what they need and that approach of never defining anyone's goals. It's always about what, what our clients um, need and what they want and how are we going to help them get there? That's so, that's so interesting. Obviously so important too, mm -hmm. is there's such a misconception of people who are experiencing homelessness that it's, that, that it's any number of things and you're addressing how do, we, how do we get these people the care they need in the way that they need it and to suit their goals? Right. 
Yeah, exactly. And it takes a long time. So when we think of unsheltered homelessness, which is really distressing right now, I think we all have seen someone probably in the last eight hours who's living outside and we haven't done a good job of building a safety net in our in our system. And I could go on and on about that. But those are the most vulnerable members of our society. And if we can't take care of them, if we can't get them the services they need, it's not it's a symptom of a bigger problem that our society is facing. And it's not easy to move someone from their absolute lowest of living outside. Um, think of any problem that you could have that would cause you to alienate your friends and family or cause you to lose your housing or cause you to lose your job. And that's what is represented by the people who are currently living unsheltered. And and to move from, from being unsheltered and living outside, there's a lot of distrust of systems. There's a lot of people that have failed you. There's a lot of good reasons why people wouldn't want to try to sus- trust the government, right? That's they're trying to say, we'll help you out. Um, and so that work that my team does, it's, it's a, it's a years long relationship that they're mm-hmm. developing with people. And that's what I believe true equity is, is taking the time to develop authentic, genuine relationships with people, building that trust, and then truly delivering on what it is that they want. What's something, I imagine there's probably a lot of answers you can give to this question, but what's something you're really proud of that, of the work you're doing with Guild? I would say that, so I came to Guild about six years and I followed a founder. So our CEO had been with the organization for over 30 years. And a lot of organizations that have been around that long providing these types of services, we really don't intentionally, but we neglect our infrastructure. And part of that infrastructure is our internal staffing, our, our workplace. For We have staff that are doing incredibly difficult work. And I wish this wasn't true, but for not very much money, because there isn't a lot of funds for this type of work in our society. And so to to have healthy workplaces and healthy cultures for people who are doing this kind of emotional, tedious work um, is so incredibly important. And um, I was a social worker and I experienced probably the gamut of what all social workers experience from the, the day you start and you just want to make one difference in the world. And then you realize there's so much need mm-hmm. and you, you're never going to solve all of those problems. And it's really overwhelming. And I think we're this breed of people that want to make an impact, but the impact we're making is a never and like, it's never going to be right. solved. Right. And so for me, my, my vision, my mission um, as a leader in this space is to create a workforce, a workspace, a work culture in which people can work in this field sustainably. Mm. Um, and, and so I'm really proud Guild has done a lot of work on our um, just physical workspace. We had a lot of work to adapt during COVID and, and did it. Um, we're able to get our staff mobile really quickly, but most importantly, supported in the work that they do. And I feel like I've, I've, we've successfully done that. That's critically important work. And, and thank you for all the work that you're doing. Uh, last question here as you look out, at Mental Health Awareness Day here at the, the State Fair. Uh, so many people here today. You know, what does something like that tell you about the awareness of this mental health crisis that we are living in right now and the, the real need for more organizations like yours? 
Um, I'll tell you, you know, we used to send staff and we still do send staff out from our marketing communications or our community engagement um, teams out to these events. And it's quickly moved into needing to have our clinical teams out to mm. these types of events because people come by and they see that there's mental health day at the fair. And maybe 10 years ago, it was sort of like, oh, I'm interested in, you know, learning more about mental health. Now it's, oh my God, let's stop and see like, my daughter, my kid, my family member, my friend maybe is struggling. And, and we're seeing a lot of people that are like have real challenges that they're facing and coming up to a booth at the state fair and asking for advice. I think what it shows is one, we are in the midst of a mental health crisis like we've never seen before in this country. Um, and there's so many factors for that. Um, but I think two is our system is so impossible to navigate that there are people coming to the state fair and feeling like talking to someone at a booth is maybe their best way to get the services that they need. And to me, um, it's heartbreaking because I'm someone who's been working directly with staff my or clients my whole life, now working with staff, now working with policymakers and organizations. And it seems like something that we just can't figure out is how to help people navigate the system to get the help they need. Mm. Well, we really appreciate your time, Julie. Thank yeah. you for being with us today. Thank you. We are delighted to be joined by our next guest here. It's Jill Wiedemann West for People Incorporated. Jill, thank you for being with us this afternoon. Well, thanks for asking me on this beautiful State Fair day. It is a wonderful day. We've got the the horns blaring as the, the fair crowd is growing here in the afternoon uh, on Mental Health Awareness Day. First off, tell me about People Incorporated. Tell me what you guys do. Well, you know, People Incorporated has been around about uh, almost 54 years, and uh, it really started out in a very humble way, um, uh, just looking at individuals that were living on the street, seemed to have some, you know, other concerns, and um, inviting them into a conversation about ways that, um, at that time, um, a pastor in St. Paul could help that turned in to People Incorporated. Um, today, People Incorporated has about, oh gosh, about 30 locations in about nine different counties. We um, do everything from outreach services uh, to treatment, to housing supports, clinic services for adults and uh, children. We um, work uh, with, I, I would call it collaborative uh, relationships with the going out on mental health calls with um, some police departments, uh, working in the libraries, trying to address uh, needs of people that are kind of moving through public spaces that have more needs than maybe uh, what the public space might be uh, providing. So People Incorporated is a provider of services for individuals that are living with mental health concerns. More importantly, though, I would tell you that we're a disruptor, an igniter, um, a collaborator. We actively look for ways to create community wellness. And we believe that the way to do that is by finding collaborations and partnerships with other folks to, to really um, work as hard as we can to to help the people that are out there needing it. You mentioned being a disruptor, and I think that's really important in this space is, is doing things differently than maybe they've been mm -hmm. done before. How, how would you say you're a disruptor in this space? 
You know, I think we're a disruptor in this space because we look actively at uh, where our clients are and um, and where they aren't, right? So sometimes knocking at the door, picking up a phone and saying, I think I need help is never going to happen. But, you know, these same folks might be the folks that, you know, end up uh, calling 911 frequently or they end up going to a library and just kind of hanging out because they don't know what else to do and, and they feel bad if they're not if there's, you know, hanging out in their space or maybe they don't have a space to hang out. So we look at disrupting by saying, okay, where do we need to go to be with the people that need help? Where do we need to go uh, to make sure that someone knows that there are things and services available uh, for them that maybe they didn't know? So that really um, would be exemplified by our police partnerships. Um, we were um, really the first to come to the table uh, with the St. Paul Police in the day to go out on uh, 911 calls that they were getting from individuals with mental health issues. So instead of transporting them to jail or to a hospital, we were able to go out as soon as it was a secure environment, sending in a social worker to sit down and go, what's going on? in their own home, in a less traumatic environment, in a less traumatic way. And this was huge. Um, you know, uh, we, um, we do things that are, you know, really about trying to uh, go in and, and work with our hospitals, for instance, in our emergency rooms to say, if this person doesn't need higher level of care, but they don't really have any place to go, but they need something, you should pick up the phone and call us. So really um, looking at healthcare and as it in its intersections with mental health care in non-traditional ways and saying, okay, where might this intersect and what do we do about it? And not just waiting for people, like you said, to pick up the phone, but going to them where they are. Because we know so yeah. many people are not going to ask for help. Absolutely. Um, you know, we need to realize that there's um, large, uh, large community here, even in the Twin Cities of uh, immigrants who um, it may be um, where they come from. There isn't even a word for mental health. A large number of individuals whose experiences in working through anything related to mental health or other issues um, haven't been met with a lot of success. And so perhaps they're a little afraid. So there's a lot of there's a lot of barriers for people with um more consistent mental health issues mm -hmm. lots of barriers and that leads into my question here about health equity too mm. is how do we how do we make sure that everybody has equitable access to care you mentioned some of those disparities that yeah. that, that people may face whether that's finding culturally competent care on basis of race or maybe religion or background right. anything like that how do you make sure you reach everybody well, I mean, I think this is a huge issue. I mean, when you really think about it and you say to yourself, okay, um, if I'm looking at all the humanity here at the state fair and I'm saying, what are those great equalizers, right? You know, some of those great equalizers are things that are easy to get around. Uh, maybe they're family or support systems, but, you know, maybe they're not, but largely they're family or support systems. Then you go a little bit deeper and you say, well, you know, when we think about kind of what, what is the level playing ground, it's housing. Mm -hmm. And it's healthcare. If people are safely and securely housed and they can help themselves and their family members to be healthy, um, it's an equalizer. Mm -hmm. It it makes things even for everyone. And if language or fear or trauma or access uh, prevent you from either one of those two things, it's not enough. Mm -hmm. It's just not enough.
And we have to realize that healthcare isn't just a commodity-based service that supports uh, basic, you know, needs that people have for staying healthy or or, or uh, getting well after some sort of an illness. But it actually, the fact that it exists for someone is an equalizer. It means that I know if something happens that I don't know why it's happening, I can get help for it. I can get services for it without knowing that there's something missing. Same thing with people that are living unhoused. Mm-hmm. You know, safe, secure housing is an equalizer. Right. And you really can't address those other issues in right. mental health. You yeah. know, talk to somebody yep. or whatever the next steps are if they're dealing with those basic survival skills. Absolutely. Those basic survival necessities. Yeah. Right. And, you know, health equity is um, a bigger conversation when you really think about it um, when you're talking about mental health because at the end of the day, there are so many individuals that, you know, um, because of maybe living with mental illness, they have not always been treated fairly. They haven't always been created, you know, they haven't always felt welcomed into access. But even taking it a step further, there's this whole, um, there's this whole area of individuals that have actually historic kinds of barriers. And it might be, again, in the immigration community, uh, folks that have come to us from other countries where mental health isn't isn't really part of their language. Or, you know, I had a student years ago tell me um, when I brought my father here from Africa, um, he got sick and I could never get him to go to the doctor because in Africa, you don't go to the hospital to the doctor unless you're ready to die. So there was all these sort of frameworks that, you know, well, we have to do a better job. I mean, we are, we're a melting pot, we're a tapestry. So we have to do a much, much better job and work a lot harder at thinking what does access really mean in 2023 and 2024. When you look at the state fair here, so many people in this area for mental health awareness day, what does that tell you about, um, I guess, the, the growing awareness of the crisis we are living in and, yeah. and what needs to be done moving forward? Well, you know, I, as I used to always tell the story that um, I, you know, meet with people, different people and say, oh, I'm with people incorporated. And they say, oh, you know, and I think what you do is great. But, you know, I just don't know anybody who has mental health issues. And I'd say, really? So have you ever felt sad after a loss? And oh, yeah, well, of course, doesn't everybody? And, you know, do you ever know somebody that suffered with postpartum depression or, you know, and then all of a sudden people go, well, I, I guess I never really thought of that as mental health because people have all these frames of where they think that mental health is. If the last few years have done nothing for us, they have reminded all of us, even those who didn't think so before, that we all have mental health. We're on different parts of the spectrum. Some of us are managing our mental health very well, but there is no one uh, in 2020 that didn't feel isolated, angry, frustrated, worried, fearful. I mean, there were so many things flooding in. And then you had, in addition to that, kids who couldn't even reconcile it yet. I think we're in a an unprecedented time in mental health where people are looking at it and saying, you know, actually, mental health is community health. Like, if we're not mentally well... It's not enough. And I think people are a lot more um, open to talking about it, um, a lot more open to um, figuring out how to access services. Um, I think it's just a brilliant time for mental health from the standpoint of 
it becoming very accessible and, uh, and, and, and a growing awareness. I think, unfortunately, it's also a time when we see unprecedented need that mm-hmm. is very difficult to manage given um, all the disruption of the last three years and a workforce shortage that is pretty substantial. Right. Well, thank you for the work that you do, Jill. We really appreciate you taking some time to talk with us today. Well, you're so welcome. Thank you for asking. A big thank you to all the mental health organizations that stopped by and spent time with us. Uh, The work they do is so important, and we are honored to share it with you, our listeners here on the Medical Alley podcast. Also, a big thank you to the State Fair, Minnesota State Fair, for having us, and to NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Health, for hosting Mental Health Awareness Day at the fair. Again, an incredibly important day, and we were we were honored to be there. Couple of things before we let you go. Number one, Medical Alley on the topic of mental health recently published a white paper on diversifying mental health professionals in Medical Alley. Uh, highly encourage you to take a look at it, especially if you are interested in the organizations that we featured on this podcast. That's medicalalley.org slash HTI. You can find that white paper there. And of course, as always, Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review too. It really helps us out and lets us know what we're doing well and and maybe some areas we can improve on. And with that, I'm Ben Wagner. Thank you for listening.